We are picking up where we left off, which is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, heading through verse 17 as we've been walking uh, through all this. And uh, I've been thinking, I've had a long time to think about this passage, and one of those things that has come out of it to me is the whole idea of the, the good life. Uh, what is the good life? Everyone is pursuing it, you're pursuing it, whatever it may, however you define it, whatever it looks like, every human being wants to live the good life. And we pursue it in various ways, one way or another. We all pursue it in our own way, but we do pursue it. The Bible says quite a bit about a good life. So we are in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this, to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as the Lord, as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than it would be for doing evil. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning into your presence. We have gathered as your people, as the community of those who trust in Christ. And as we come this morning, we would hear your voice. That you would speak into our lives the truth of your word by the power of your spirit. That we might see and hear and be changed. That we might be more like Jesus. It is in his name that we ask and pray. Amen. We're all looking for the good life. Today, in the things that you are pursuing, in the things that you are prioritizing, in the things that you are doing, in the things that you are thinking, in the ways that you are living, you are pursuing the good life as you understand it. You're doing it within your means. Whatever, we all have different means you know, uh, available to us. And so for some, the good life is up here. And for me, the good life is within my means as I can. We're all pursuing it. Chasing The good life. And for many inside and outside the church, it may mean chasing things, experiences, even people. But a certain kind of life. You know, for you as you imagine it, is it a, you know, it's that farm, you know, out on a piece of property. The the slow and easy life out there. Or maybe it's a house in the woods removed from everyone else. Or it's a 5,000 square foot house with an Olympic pool. Or maybe it's a trendy 
bar scene lifestyle or maybe it is spring break I was in spring break while we were gone and you see the pictures on TV of the writhing mass of young people on the beaches in Florida you know and they're they're looking for the good life they think it's there it's like that we pursue it through our money with cars and clothes and houses and vacations and entertainment and luxury and in our own way everybody wants it however we define it Jesus speaks to this I think in there in your bulletin under the first point, Luke chapter 12, he says this, take care. Be on your guard. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. And I would add into the abundance of our experiences. Jesus in His Word will challenge us to take a hard look at what we think the good life is. A hard look at what it is that we are pursuing. What it is that we are after. And when when it will be that we will think we have achieved the good life, what is it that we will have attained? Obtained. See, the question this morning is what makes our lives good? What kind of life are we pursuing? Jesus said in John 10, it's there in your bulletin, John 10.10, He says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I came that they might have the good life. Right? The abundant life. That's why He came. To give it to us. To bring it to us. And so the question is, what does that look like? What is it that Jesus has for us? See, Peter's whole letter, as he writes this whole letter, writing to the church in the midst of a, of a hostile world and culture, he's writing to them, and, he, and in it he is describing to them what does it look like to live the good life in a hostile culture, in a broken world as we have entered the kingdom of God. What does it look like to live that abundant life that Jesus is talking about? It's a life in the kingdom of God. It's a life where Christ is honored as Lord. When Peter starts this, he starts with the word finally. This catches us back to, if you can remember that far back before, you know, to the sermons in the weeks prior to my leaving, we were, we were discussing the whole context was submission. If you remember. And so when he says finally, this word, it's a Greek idiom that simply means let me sum up. Right? What, what, what we've been talking about so far. You know, one last thought to pull it all together. Let me, let me sum up. Finally. Now, he's not summing up the entire letter, but this context of submission. You'll see he has a lot more to say, actually. He's not finishing the letter, but he's finishing this topic. Right? This topic of submission. And what he is going to talk about here is a life submitted to Christ. So in the midst of suffering and brokenness and everything else, he's talking about a life submitted. Right? He's been... So far, this context, he's been talking about citizens being submitted to their government and their emperors and servants and wives and husbands and, and this whole idea of submitting to legitimate authority and this idea of submitting to legitimate authority as a real part of our godliness, who we are, even, even when that authority, even when it, is, it itself is broken, when there's injustice, when it's not the way that it's fully supposed to be. Difficult circumstances. Part of our godliness is who are we in those relationships where we submit to, to proper authorities that God has put in our lives. Who are we in the midst of it? 
Those who have entered into the kingdom of God. Those who have come under the lordship of Christ. Live to a higher authority. So whatever authority stands over me, whether I'm, I'm talking to a policeman who has pulled me over or is in something, or whether I'm, you know, whatever the context, whether I'm doing my taxes, whether I'm speaking to those who have authority over me in the church, whether I'm talking to whatever the authority is in your life, I respond to them under a higher authority. And so as we come into this, and he says, you know, finally, he's been right talking to each of these different groups, Gentile, I mean, uh, uh, citizens and servants and husbands and wives, and now he says, finally, all of you. He's been speaking to little groups within. And now he says, all of you, church, church of Jesus Christ, people of God, all of you now hear me as we finish this conversation about submission. Godly submission to those who live under the reign of Jesus Christ. And so in verses 8 and 9, he, 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 he describes this. And I think that this life of submission is the good life. A life submitted to Christ, we're going to see, is the good life. And He came to give us life abundantly. And that's a life, He says, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. I'll give rest for your souls. That's the good life. And it's a life submitted to Christ. And he describes it. It's a, it's a life of godliness. He describes it in verses 8 and 9, talking about key aspects of Christ-likeness. Key aspects of a life under the Lordship of Christ. Where we seek to be like Him and to please Him and to follow Him. And then in verses 10 to 12, he gives us this quote. At least in mine, it's set apart in the text. He gives a long quote from Psalm 34. And he begins to quote with the word, or at least verse 10, he begins with the word for. And so what he says in 8 and 9, he sums up and he says for, because since, as we read in, in the Old Testament Scriptures, as we read in God's Word through the prophet David, King David, prophet David, for, and then he connects these, the, the life that David describes with the life that he's describing. And so Psalm 34 describes and illustrates the same life, the good life, the godly life that he describes in 8 and 9. And so in 8 and 9, he describes these aspects of a good life, of a godly, healthy relationship and community. You look at the things he lists. It's always interesting because every author, you read all the different letters and you read Peter and Paul and even in Paul's different letters and he gives lists. They love to give lists and Paul's always given lists. And so it's interesting to see what's on the list because they differ. They differ from each other. They differ from letter to letter. Even within Paul, his lists differ. And as Peter is writing to this church in this context of submission and a life submitted to Christ and in godly submission to each other and community and he gives us a list and it's this list of unity of mind sympathy and brotherly love a tender heart supposed to hard callous harsh right and a humble mind not repaying evil for evil not reviling for reviling but on the contrary blessing for this is a life to which you're called and as he gives us this list this the first one for me is the key Unity of mind. I think it's the same in the fruit of the Spirit where Paul gives us a list again. The fruit of the Spirit, the singular fruit of the Spirit, the word is singular, is love, 
And then he gives eight more things. And I think love is the key driving concept there. And the other eight, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-goodness, all describe and say, this is what love looks like. This is how we love. Right? And so as Peter gives us this list, I'm convinced, as he says, this unity of mind. And then he gives us this other list. This is how we have unity of mind. This is what it looks like. And he puts at the head of the list, this thing that he wants for the body of Christ as we submit to one another. And it's this submission to one another, this humility and sympathy and tenderness and kindness that he calls for is the foundation. It's what unity looks like. It's how we achieve it. And this unity is an important, I think an important thing in the body of Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, and I don't have time now, I do some of it in the new members class because I think it is core to what it means to be the people of God. For Jesus, it is at the heart of our witness. As we seek to reach a broken world, He says we need to be a little less broken. Right? We need to be where a world that is at odds with each other, this is a place where we should be on each other's side. You know, dying to ourselves and serving one another. A place of sacrifice and giving. A place of generosity and of love. A place of kindness and sympathy. Of humility of mind where evil is not repaid for evil. And when we fail, there is forgiveness and blessing. Right? This is that place. Jesus prayed for it as Jesus is, is facing His own death on the cross. The night that He was betrayed, He prayed for us. And He said this, that they would all be one. Unified. One body in, in Christ. That they would all be one. It's there in your bulletin under the second point. Just as you. And then He compares it. There's nothing more powerful. Then He says, I want them to be one. Father, a lot like we who are the Godhead, the, the Trinity, as the Father and the Son are one. That kind of harmony, you know, that kind of unity of purpose and mind, that kind of deference to each other and love for each other. May they be one as you are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, that they would in a sense join into the fellowship of the Father and the Son and that the harmony that is God would, would characterize His people and His church. This is huge. I think about these things as we go into a building program. I have been afraid of this thing for a long time because I know that, that, that decisions have to be made. Opinions will arise. Preferences will clash. Right? These are the things because we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to work together to build something new to press into the future. And God wants us to do it in a, in harmony. Romans 12, 16 and 17, Paul says, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud. Don't be full of yourself. Don't be haughty, but associate with everybody. With the lowly, with whoever comes through your door. Never be wise in your own eyes in your own sight in other words don't think you're always right don't think your preferences are always the right ones don't think you always have the right opinion don't always hold yourself and step back in, in judgment and criticism on everybody else don't be so wise in your own eyes but rather don't be haughty but in humility of soul and don't repay evil for evil. The list is actually very similar to Peter's list. Live in harmony. Live in humility. Sympathize with the lowly. Don't be proud. Don't return evil for evil. This is standard body of Christ 
who we are and called to be stuff. Humble unity, which is the opposite of self-assertion, egocentric pride, demanding our own way, having to be right. Look at Philippians 2 as I thought about this. I know it's not demanding our own way because Paul says this. We just read the passage that followed from Philippians. It was read to us. Have the same mind in yourselves. It was also in Christ Jesus who though He was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped and held onto, but He was willing, even as God, to humble Himself into the form of a servant and to serve His people. And He says, so you have this mind in yourselves. However wise you think you are in your own sight, however right you think you are, die to yourself and serve God's people. And then he says, but this is what leads into that passage. He says, complete my joy. So as a pastor, and this is true, Paul's an apostle, as a pastor, he says, here's where my joy would be complete, like perfected. Like this is where it would, this is where it would do it for me, Paul says. Be of the same mind, having the same love, in full accord, harmony of one mind. Four different ways. How many more ways can you say it, Paul? Like now you're starting to be redundant. Right? Same mind, same love, full accord, one mind. It's core. How do we do this, Paul? Okay, I'm convinced. <laughs> what, what is this look? What do I got to do? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, of self-promotion, of promoting your own agenda, of promoting your own preferences, promoting your own way. He says, do nothing promoting, coming from driving your selfish purposes, but in humility, consider everybody else more important than you. You know, rather do their will than yours. Rather have it their way than your way. Rather that they are loved and blessed rather than you. Right? Don't seek only your own interests, but rather seek the interests of other people in humility of mind. Not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Not being more wise in your own eyes than you should be. Unity and harmony. And then what does it look like but this sympathy with one another. To sympathize. is To seek to understand them and to comp- compromise with them. Sympathy and brotherly love. Brotherly love is sacrificial. Anytime I do marital counseling, I'm saying, you guys say you love each other. You're about to get married. If you don't understand love is personal sacrifice, you don't understand anything. You don't understand anything. It's dying to yourself to love and bless another. And that's the point of marriage. You don't take any vows up there what your spouse is going to do. Now I vow today that my spouse is going to do this. You stand up there and say what you're going to do. And what am I going to do? Right? I'm going to love, honor, and cherish till the day that I die. And keeping vows is not till death do us part. Like I'm not, I'm not going to get divorced. So many people, it's one of my marriage sermons, it's, just, it's a freebie. It's, you know, we think that you know, honoring our marriage vows is not getting divorced. No, that's just the duration of your vows. It's till death do us part that I'm going to do my vows. But your vow is to love and to honor, and to cherish. In sickness and in health, when it's poor or wealthy, when the times are hard, with better or worse, and especially when it's worse, you will love, and you will honor, and you will cherish. And 
Love, brotherly love, is sacrificing, pouring ourselves out on behalf of another. It's the essence of a good marriage. It's the essence of a good church. It's the essence of someone who loves Jesus and follows in his pattern. Have the same mind in yourselves. He's the one who emptied himself, served and gave his life away. So don't return evil for evil. Don't return insult for insult, but actually bless. Right? Isn't that amazing? Those are the kind of things, that, this upside down kingdom of Jesus. Because we live in a world that when evil is done to me, I am plotting my revenge. Oh, you're going to talk to me like that? How about this? Oh, you did that to me? Just wait. Right? Oh, you did that to my... I mean, we, we look out there, there is this whole sense of, what, you know, this tit for tat, back and forth. I'm going to give you what I got, as good as I got. And Jesus is upside down. He says, never repay evil with evil. See, you're like a fountain, and out of the fountain ought to flow life and goodness and health and blessing. Right? And he says, so out of this fountain that should be a good tree that bears good fruit, we should not bear other kinds of fruit flows. No insult for insult, actually to bless. Give a good, the word bless here is a eulogomena, which is to give a good word. So if somebody's saying bad things about you, you can still bless. Somebody has done something to you, you don't have to tear them down and start you know, back over here and back over there. He says, you know what? If you've received evil, he says, instead of returning evil, say a good word. Bless and curse not, the Savior says. And this is not just restraint then. I'm going to hold my tongue. This is true forgiveness. It's the freedom and liberty of soul that even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of hardship, I'm a giver. I'm a blesser. Because I am not living in response to what you're doing and matching it. I am actually living under the Lordship of Christ, under the gaze of God and under the Lordship of Christ and in the midst of a kingdom that is coming. And I don't have to give back to you what the world gives. I give back to you out of the kingdom, out of the heart of Christ, out of the power of the Spirit. See 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 and 15, it's there. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good. Right? To one another and to everyone. Let it begin with the people of God and let it flow into every relationship in the midst of this broken, hostile, evil world that doesn't know God. Always seek to do good. The subversive power of an upside-down kingdom that's always seeking the good and blessing and giving even when we are being taken and reviled and Bless and curse not. Show kindness to the unkind. Show fairness to the unfair. Show mercy to the mean people. Give a good word for a bad and return evil with good. We bless when we don't get our way and in the face of injustice. We bless those who don't deserve it. Because we who don't deserve it have been infinitely and immeasurably blessed. So we can be a giver of blessing. He's writing to persecuted and suffering Christians in a hostile culture who knows 
you know, we think our culture is our culture is just beginning to be a little bit about to start to get hostile. Like you, it would be you see the old movie like you call that hostile? That's not hostile. This is hostile, right? That's the crocodile. Never mind. <clears throat> Right, that's not hostile. Like, I mean, yes, it's getting, it, 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 we are moving in a direction. Don't get me wrong. But we are reading about brothers and sisters in Christ who are being, you know, suffering in ways that we have not even begun to imagine what it could be like. These guys are persecuted and they have to respond to what's being done to them, what's being said about them. And they're called to respond in the way that Jesus responded and responds to bless those who you disagree with you, right? Those who are hard to get along with, those who have wronged you, those who are against you, those who speak ill of you, the subversive power of a kingdom that always seeks to do good, the good life, seeks the good life in the midst of a broken and hostile world. He says, verse 9, at the end of it, to this you were called. Brothers and sisters, did you say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus? He says, to this you were called. This is your calling. This is who you are. This is who you are. Conform to His image. And so in verse 10, when he moves into this quote from the Old Testament, and he says, for, and then he says, like, I'm, t- I'm, I'm describing this life, and he says, this is not new. This is the people of God through the ages. Let me, let me pull in David and God's word from over here. For just as the prophet David, this, the king, David has said, you know, for all of you who desires to love life and to see good days, the good life that you love and enjoy, he says, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good and to seek peace and pursue it. When you pursue it, it's like putting your nose down and, you know, <clears throat> blinders on and, and go. Don't just turn away but, and seek it, but pursue it. If you want the good life, he says three things. Keep your tongue, turn your life, and seek the shalom of God. Keep your tongue, turn your life, and seek the shalom, the peace of God, and pursue it. You and I know that we want to keep the tongue. Jesus tells us it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So to keep the tongue is to keep the heart. Guard the heart from out of it. Come the wellspring of the rest of your life. Your tongue speaks out of your heart. Sometimes I say, I don't know why I said that. I know exactly why you said that. It's right inside there. You know, so it just came right out of there. Right? That's where it came from. Out of the abundance of the heart. The, so it is in the heart that the tongue is tamed. It's in the heart that we first turn away from evil and turn to pursue peace and justice. Because this idea of shalom, I love this idea when he says, if you want to see good days and to love life, you're going to have to turn away from all these things and seek and pursue the shalom. That word peace there in the, in the Hebrew is the word shalom. And peace just doesn't cut it. Right? And, and Mo, you probably have heard this before. That is shalom and the Hebrew eye. They, they were such a holistic people. Life was fully integrated. It wasn't like here, my, my work and my family or this. and It's not my mind the way I think and then I feel. It's all together. And so shalom, this idea of peace, isn't peace unless it incorporates the whole of life. And so the life of shalom is the life that is in sync with God. 
right? The light, the shalom is to be in sync with the Creator. It's to be walking with Him under His smile. And so the life of shalom is a life that seeks and pursues justice and righteousness for the poor and for the widow and for the orphan. And you read the Old Testament again and again, it will say this, right? It's the life that pursues justice and righteousness. It's the life that is so much fuller than. It's the life of healthy and, and, and peaceful relationships where my relationships are right. There's been forgiveness where there needs to be forgiveness and bitterness has been uprooted and you know, there, there is harmony in relationships. So the shalom includes that, but it's also a clear conscience like he mentions in verse 16, having a good conscience before the Lord. And, and so part of this shalom is a life that seeks justice and righteousness. It is at peace and has healthy relationships and has a good conscience with God. It's a whole life that is right under God. Micah says, what's required of you? What does the Lord want from you? But to do justice and righteousness upon the earth. To love kindness. And to be a people who love kindness, whose relationships are healthy. And to walk humbly with your God, with a clear conscience, under, with, for, through Him. This is the good life. It does not consist in the abundance of possessions or abundance of experiences. It's an abundance of heart. It's abundance of shalom that keeps the tongue, tames the tongue and turns away from evil and seeks and pursues the peace and the shalom of God over all of your life, but over all the sphere of influence of your life as you're part of this body and in this community and in this world. An agent of shalom, of righteousness and justice and peace and goodness. And he says in verse 13, if you live this kind of a life, if you are seeking and pursuing to always do good and to this kind of shalom and peace, who's going to harm you? Who's going to harm you if you're zealous for the truly good life? If you are a blesser and a giver and a lover, who's going to harm you? And I can tell you now, that will disarm quite a bit. But then he says this, he goes on and he says, but even if you should suffer, for righteousness' sake. And we live in a world, Paul says, if you would seek to live a godly life in Christ, you will be persecuted. The world is broken and we suffer. The world is in rebellion against his God and you will suffer if you follow him. And so he says, and they are suffering, even if you are suffering, even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, he says, you're still blessed. You're still blessed. Where does he get that? That's totally Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are you if you hunger and thirst for God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely because of me. Right? Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. Blessed are you who are persecuted and suffer because you follow in my footsteps. And let me ask you this. Does your vision of the good life have room in it for persecution and suffering. Jesus lived a good life. 
Paul lived a good life. Peter lived a good life right up till he was crucified upside down. And even then he rejoiced that he would be counted worthy to suffer with his Savior for his Savior in that way. Does your, does your version of the good life include room? Because there's a version of it out there, you know, they're promoting, you know, the best life. And it doesn't include this kind of thing. Right? The best life seems to ignore Peter and Paul and Jesus. So let me close in with these ideas. Here's the thing. We cannot serve two masters. Right? We cannot serve two masters. We cannot seek the good life of self-indulgence at the same time of pursuing the shalom and the blessing of God's upside-down kingdom uh, here, there, and everywhere. It is, it's hard to do. Right? We can't serve two masters. can't serve self. And the shalom and the kingdom of God. What does it look like? How do we get there? Let me just close, you know, rather than giving you a list of things to do, I'm going to give you two pictures. And I, I believe that one of the ways that we are changed is when our imaginations are captured by the truth. We don't just imagine things that don't really exist. We imagine, we live not by what we can see, by what we can't see. But we can imagine what we can't see. Real realities, the kingdom of God is present. Things that are spiritual are more real than the things I can touch. The life that is to come is longer, better, deeper, richer, and more full of life than this one is. Though it's hard to believe. It's hard to know tangibly. But I can imagine. I can only imagine what that life will be. It's a song. <clears throat> Let me give you these two images. Verse 12 and verse 15. He gives us these two images in the midst of this. One from Peter, one from David. One from his quoting and one from his own filling out. And one of them in verse 15 where you read that, right? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and His ears are open to their prayer. And the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Right? You get this, this, this talk about God's eyes and God's ears. And we know at some level that God doesn't have eyes and ears in the same way that we do. He's without... Anyway... But this, this attention to his eyes and his ears, what is it saying? Most of us would know this. We would say, you know, keep your eyes and your ears open. In other words, pay attention. Or I would say, hey, eyes front, listen up. Right? Eyes front, listen up. We're not, pay attention to me. Right? That's the way we use the language. And when he says here, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. In other words, he is paying attention to who? Us. <laughs> unbelievably praise God he is this, there's this picture of God whose attention is on us his people and, he, and his eyes are on those we'll just define the righteous here as those who trust in Christ and are righteous with a righteousness that is not their own but it, that, that abide under the righteousness of Christ as a gift by faith and the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous you are under the gaze of God and he's listening to what you have to say. You know, as we cry out, as we reach out to him, our prayers are heard. 
And so there is this living under the gaze of God, that God is attentive to us. God hears our prayers. How do we live this life? It's a life lived under the gaze of God. It's a, it's, it's a life lived knowing that we are in His kingdom and that He is ever present and attentive, that He hears our prayers, that His desire is for you to be holy and righteous, for His people to, to embody all that is described here by the power of the Spirit that He pours out. And so we live in this relationship with God, who hears us and answers us. And then you move into verse 12, I mean verse 15 that comes a little bit later. And it's really verses 14 and 15 where he says, but um, you know, have no fear of them, don't be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ as Lord. Right, this picture, that's actually, they don't really show it to you there, it's actually a quote from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Where it says the identical thing. Have no fear of them. Don't be troubled. But in your hearts, sanctify and honor Yahweh as holy. And then they, Peter inserts Christ. Don't be afraid of them, but in your hearts, in the inner sanctuary, set apart Christ as Lord. Sanctify Him. Honor Him. Revere Him in the inner chamber, enthrone Him as Lord and God in the inner place of your life, right? Only the reigning Christ can, can change and empower us for this upside-down kingdom. It is only the power of an indwelling Christ who reigns here, who is set apart here, who is honored and revered here, that I find the grace and the power of Spirit to love you when you're unlovely. To be nice to you when you're not nice to me. right? To forgive when you have wronged. To not return reviling with reviling and evil with evil. But to, to die to my own preferences and ways so that I can serve and bless and love you. This is the fruit of an indwelling Savior. Right, and so this, it's, it's a very incarnational, you know, the first one, God is in His heaven and His eyes are upon the righteous and He hears, and the second one is in the inner chamber, right, in the sanctuary of your soul, Christ should reign, and there you should honor Him. There you should, here's where worship should be happening, Right? The knees should be bowed and the life should be submitted and given over. And it's here that I give Him my worship and here that I die. It is in this place and in those moments that our bitterness is uprooted, that our pride is brought low, that our complaining is stifled, that our sacrifice is embraced and love takes flame and we live out this life. It's here in the inner chamber that all those things happen. It is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks and the life is lived. That we are able to turn away from evil and not return it in kind, but rather to return blessing. My friends, there is no good life where Christ is not reigning in the inner sanctuary. There is no good life where our lives are not surrendered to this life, to being conformed to Christ and His people. According to the Bible, the only really good life ends with these words. Well done, my faithful servant. Live to hear those words and pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of gathering this morning indeed 
under your gaze. Knowing that you hear our prayers. Knowing that you receive our praise. Knowing that you have come near to us in Christ and poured out your Spirit so that the Spirit of Christ Himself may dwell in us, your people. And that here, in our midst, you are present. This is good news, Father, because we confess that as we read these things in your word, we, we are not equal to them. I cannot be this man. I cannot do these things. I love myself too much. And so, would you, in the inner sanctuary, bring us low. Change us. Set us free from ourselves that we might be the people of God. These things we ask and we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.